0: You know, so often we talk about this word, we use this word in church when we get together on Sundays. It's this time in, in our gathering where we'll raise our hands and we'll maybe close our eyes. We'll move our bodies a little bit, right, if we're getting a little crazy. And, and it's this time of, of adoration. It's this time of thanksgiving. It's this time of, of expressing our affection and our love to God. But think about outside of church. Think about the, this word worship when we leave these four walls. How do you know when you're worshiping something? Like really, how do you know when when you're worshiping? It's a thing that you find yourself thinking about. The thing that you're willing to sacrifice for, it's a thing that you can't live without. The thing that when you don't have it, you feel it, you know it's not there when it's missing and you'll do whatever it takes to get it back. This idea of worship, so much more than singing a few songs. The reason I started here this morning is I was praying on Thursday and trying to get my mind around, hey, Lord, what is it that you have for us today is trying to teach this text in Matthew chapter two. What is it you, you want us to hear? And I felt like he was just leading me to, to verse two, this, this word, that this, this idea of, of what God wanting for us is to be worshipers of him. Not just people who show up and, and who put our hands in our pockets and sing a few Christmas songs. No, the more robust idea of a worshiper of God, that, that we would be people who, who think about God. That we are, are, are people who, who, who sacrifice everything for God. That God is who we can't live without. That God is who, when when we can't feel him or we can't see him or we can't hear it, we we know it. And we'll do whatever it takes to reenter into communion and fellowship with God. The story that we're going to be looking at this morning, you're going to notice a plethora of people. There are some people in this story who are just unbelievably resistant to God. There's some in this story who are very interested in talking about what God is going to one day do, and then there are some who are willingly and and wanting to welcome what God is doing into their lives. There's some in this story who are are willing to walk, who are willing to work, who are willing to lay their lives down because what they truly desire is to be worshipers of the Most High God. We're gonna start in verse one, just kind of working our way through this text. It says, after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. I have a lot more questions than I do answers and I have all week. I've been reading through this. And, and what I realized is that a lot of my questions are at best, are best answered with Speculation. I don't know if you've read this story before, if you've heard this story before, if you've heard it taught on before. I'm just asking myself these kinds of questions. You know, where where exactly did the magi come from? How far do they travel? How did they know that a star appeared in the sky and that connected to the fact that this other nation's king had been born? Like, how do they know that? None of us are gonna go outside and study the stars and when a new star appears, go, oh yeah, that makes sense. There's a new king in Qatar, right? Like, we don't connect those dots. And we read these stories sometimes and we, and we forget the, the mystery and the, and the work of God in the story and what is really going on there. And so uh, I, I, was, I was asking all these questions and coming up with very little answers, but this is what I did learn this week, that these magi, they were students of the stars. There were people who, were big into dream interpretation. They studied sacred writings. They were were into wisdom and magic. And what you see about these magi is that they were spiritually connected people. And while I don't know where they came from, I don't know how far they traveled. You know, Some people speculate they traveled 40 days to get here and that's not in the text, and so I'm not gonna make that jump. But what we do know, what is clear from this text is that God was speaking to them in a way, he was speaking their language. And it got their attention. And it's not that God was just speaking. I love what you see in this story. It's that they were responsive. You see, and I hope that you see this, that, that God has always been in the business of, of speaking into our lives in ways and in languages and in pictures and things that we can understand. Just like he did with the manger. I think about my friend who's living over um, in Europe right now. And he's, he's working with Muslim refugees. He was telling me the story one time about how you know, the these people he was working with, they're just very open to the spiritual world. They're very open to, to, to things that a lot of time we are not open to, we're not as familiar with. And he said one day that, that he found himself talking to this man, and, and this guy starts to tell him about this dream that he was having. And he starts to, to describe the way this man looked in his dream and the way that this guy was talking in his, in, in his dream. And, and my friend instantly opened up his Bible and he turns to Revelation chapter two and he starts to to read this passage. And the man goes, that is who I saw in my dream. That guy that you just read to me about in Revelation chapter two, who is that man? He says, Jesus. And this Muslim man who's living in the Middle East found himself in Western Europe and he's wrestling with this, oh my goodness. Christ is appearing to me in my dreams. My friend goes on to tell me how this guy becomes a follower of Jesus. He gets baptized. And I want you to see, just because maybe this isn't your experience, that God is always, always in the business of speaking into the languages, speaking into our worlds in ways that we can understand. This didn't just happen two thousand years ago. This is still happening today. And here's what I love: these these magi. God is speaking, and they are responsive. And it says that they they leave their homes. Can you imagine this? Packing up your bags. What do you tell your husband? What do you tell your wife? Hey, I'm chasing the star. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to work for the next few weeks. Okay. You're gonna take care of the kids by yourself, okay. Think about what this really cost them and, and they leave their homes and they, and they travel to Jerusalem. A couple of things that I noticed here, I, I think about what this would have been like for them. Think about if you would have come to Nashville, if the star would have appeared in Nashville. You know, the question that I've been asking is, where would you even begin to start looking? And you get the sense that, that these magi, they just start asking people. They start asking anyone who can help. And I love this. They are on a mission. And if others can help them, they have no shame. They have no fear in asking others to help. Think about that. Second thing that I noticed in these few verses, I think it's so beautiful, is I wonder why the star didn't lead them to Bethlehem. Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And yet these these men, these magi, they stop in Jerusalem. And I wonder what is going on there. And I wonder if God might be showing us the bigness of who God is, the ways that God works, the inclusivity of God, the great mastermind behind it all. I wonder if God sees these three or these these, these men who are on this journey, and if he knows that what they desire is to know him and to come to the truth of who he is, and I wonder if God goes, man, I could use these people to help stir up people's hearts, to help stir up people's curiosity in Jerusalem. Have you ever even thought about that before? that God doesn't call them directly to to, to Bethlehem. He calls them to Jerusalem. And the question that I've been wrestling with is are the people in Jerusalem willing to see what God is doing in the world around them? Think about us. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know exactly what God is, is doing in your heart. I don't know what you're really living for think about the the journey that God has us on and sometimes God's put God puts people in our lives like the magi that stir us that create in us a hunger for more of God and sometimes we get to be that that person for other people that we're the ones that God will use to stir up people's curiosity about who God is isn't that beautiful isn't that amazing that God allows us to, to encourage each other. That, that in this life, he doesn't call us to this solo hermit lifestyle where we just do our thing with God. No, that, that God intertwines our lives. That he'll take Jill and he'll use Jill to bless Amy. And he'll take Amy to bless Rachel and Rachel, Rachel to bless Hannah. And he just uses this to, to ignite in us this passion for Jesus. It's not a coincidence that the people that are in your family love Jesus. It is not a coincidence that you find yourself around people who don't know Jesus. This is the great God that we serve. Nana and I were talking. Nana's our volunteer coordinator here. She asked this interesting question to me on Thursday. She said, I wonder if sometimes we're, we're too busy to even recognize the people that God's bringing into our lives. She was talking about one of someone in her life, how they will often come to her and ask questions about faith. This person who is not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, but yet they will come to her. And she said, so often I just miss it. And God is always working. God is always working. Nana said, I I wonder if, if, if our coworkers, when they come to us and they tell us, man, I'm having a bad day. I wonder if God is giving us one of those moments to share the gospel or to pray for them, or to encourage them. And, and I wonder if so often we're like the people of Jerusalem who just completely miss what God is trying to do. story doesn't end there. Let's keep going in verse three. It says, when King Herod... Heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. I wanna talk about Herod real quick, and I wanna talk about the teachers of the law. Herod was appointed king by the Roman government 30-ish years prior to this moment. He was not Jewish by descent. In fact, he claimed to to practice Judaism, but he was not a practitioner, even in the slightest. What I discovered about reading about Herod this week, they called him Herod the Great, and many of you might already know this, is that he was just an unbelievably cruel and paranoid man. That he would stop at nothing to protect his position as king. He had two of his own sons killed. He had his wife killed, one of his favorite wives. He had many other people in his family, in his close friend group had, that he had killed because they were a threat to his position. It's like, Laura, could you imagine executing your sons? I mean, some days maybe, right? Like, but, but, but not like this right? You, you, you go, what, what, is, what is going on here? He wanted the power. This is a real man. He, he was king when Jesus was born, king over Jerusalem. He was king of the Jews. He, he wanted the luxury. He wanted the connections. He wanted the benefits. He wanted the position. And that position of king meant more to him than anything else in life. And what's so sad is if he would have just been willing to see what God was doing right in front of him, how different his life could have turned out. You see, he hears about this king, the true king, the king of the Jews being born, and all he can think about was what he had to lose by Jesus coming. And he couldn't see what he would gain by Jesus coming. So the paranoid, temporary king, he doesn't move, he doesn't search, he doesn't seek out this newborn king. No, his intent is to squash him. He never intended to worship Jesus. We know that from the next few verses. In verses 13 through 18, if you're to go and read it. It says that, that the Magi, they go and they discover Jesus. And, and, and Herod told them to report back, but, but the Lord told them not to. And so they listened to the Lord, obviously, instead of Herod. And says that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he, he declared this decree. He sent his army literally to the town of Bethlehem and had every boy ages two and under mass murdered. Anywhere between 18 and 30 boys were probably murdered. And this is the way that Herod was remembered. Historians say that when Herod died at his funeral, his family unlamented. And I kept thinking about the life of Herod, right? And while none of us are as evil as Herod, hopefully none of us are having people killed around us, right, to to secure the positions we are in, I realize that God, there is this overlap with our lives. That just like he did with Herod, God will allow us, he will allow you and me to live life however we want. That this is a beauty of free will. This is a beauty of what God has given to us. And if we want to spend our entire lives like Herod, being resistant to God, if we wanna spend our entire lives completely closing our eyes, completely closing our ears, shutting off God, if we're trying to hold on to our lives and the things that we want in our life, if we are unwilling to get off of our thrones and lay down our lives for the true king, God most high will allow us to do that. It doesn't mean he's okay with it. it doesn't mean that's what he wants for us. It's not what he wants for, for it's not what he wants himself. And it doesn't mean that God's not coming after you. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, this passage says that God devises ways for those who are banished from God to be banished no longer. That God is up in heaven and he's going, man, how can I get Clint's sister back in my family? And how can I get Hannah's nieces to, to, to know me? And how can I get Josh's brother to, to come to know me? And God is up in heaven devising ways so that those who are banished from him would be so no longer. First Timothy chapter two says that God desires for all people to be saved. God wants worshipers, not just people who will stand here and sing songs. He wants people who love him, who want him more than anything, who come to him and say, God, you're worth everything. I could lose everything else in life. And if I have you, I'll be okay. But if I have everything else in life and I don't have you, it's not okay. And what we learned, from, what we learned the hard way from Herod, from Herod is if we choose to harden our hearts and if we choose to hold on to our lives, God will allow us to pursue the things that our hearts want. I think about the teachers of the law and I think about the chief priest and here's what I saw in them, that they had all the answers. They knew exactly where the Savior was going to be. They knew these these passages. They knew that several hundred years ago that the prophets predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and they knew it. And yet what's so crazy is they weren't watching for him. They weren't looking for him. Like if I lived back in their day, And they knew that the Messiah, the king, the savior was coming and he was going to be born in Bethlehem. You better believe that we would be having a strategic like 24 hour watch in Bethlehem. And what we see of these teachers of the law is that they have all the knowledge. They have all the answers here, but they care nothing about seeking it out and putting it into practice. I go, how could they not be looking? How could they not be wanting? How could they not be searching And I want to caution those of us who know a lot of things about God. I want to caution those of us who have a lot of the answers. Let's make sure that the things that we're discovering here and discovering here are actually leading us to live lives of following Jesus. Jesus' harshest words were for the people who had all the answers but weren't interested in living it out. I realized on my own journey How easy it is to do this. How easy it is for for me to slip into this place where I can so comfortably talk about how God has such a heart for the lost and how God will do whatever it takes to to rescue the the one who is is scattered, that, that, that God cares about those who, and I can talk all day about it, and I know it's here, but yet you look at my life and you go, man, Brandon, you do a lot of talking about the lost and you do very little pursuing the lost. And I realize how this this is so easy to slide into this because we can impress each other and we can act like we have our lives together, but yet God sees our heart and what he wants is not people that have a bunch of answers. He wants people who worship him. Herod's trying to squash what God is doing. He's trying to keep it at arm's length apart. The teachers of the law are interested in talking about what God will do. And then you have the Magi. And I love the Magi because they search out what God is doing. I love how the story ends. In verse 9, it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Who has ever heard of a star doing something like this? And I believe that what we see here is that God will use all of his creation to get us to Jesus. That God will do whatever it takes to get us to Jesus. I love that that these magi, if you could pull back the curtains, if you could see into their heart what they were truly after, what they wanted was truth. They didn't want the fluff. They wanted to know what this world was really about. And they pursued it. And I love the things that they got to see and experience along the way. Because what their hearts were after was, was truth. They experienced the supernatural. They experienced joy. And even the candle, even the, the, the theme of today, this idea of joy, I realized that, that how often you and I, we, we, will, we will pursue things as, as if they were end, and they were never meant to be the end. Here's what I mean. We will pursue Joy. <laughs> And so we will spend our money and we'll spend our time and we will spend the best of what we have trying to find things that will satisfy us, trying to find things that will last. It's one vacation to the next, right? It's it's us grasping, trying to find joy, trying to to find life. And we chase joy. We go, man, if we could just have joy, if we could just be secure, life will be good. I also realize that we do this with the supernatural, That's so often we come to God and we say, God, if you would just prove yourself to me. God, if you would just show yourself in a mysterious, supernatural way, then I will believe, then I will be all in. And that's not the way God works. No, God says, your heart is made for truth. Your heart is made to worship me. And if you will commit to that path, you will experience the supernatural and you will experience joy, but they can't be the end in and of itself. The Magi wanted God. Imagine I wanted God. What do you want? Have you become convinced? Have you done enough living to realize that all the things that the world tells us will satisfy us they don't satisfy us? Have you you come to realize that Jesus alone brings the joy? I love that it says that they bow down and they worship him. Grown men on their faces in front of a baby. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't have the ability to speak, Right? I don't know very many babies that come out speaking um, full sentences, right? Here's what's crazy. They walk into this room where, where Mary's holding Jesus and Jesus doesn't speak to them. He doesn't say, good job. You found me. I'm the king. Thanks for the gifts. They hadn't seen him do anything. They they hadn't heard a a word from the mouth of Jesus. And yet they knew that he was the king. They knew here that, that he was the one their hearts longed for. For God had led them to him. God had led them to Jesus. God had led them to Jesus. Many of you find yourself in that similar place this morning. That God has been working all around you. He's been working in your heart. He's been stirring you. He's been leading you, and you've been following, and he's brought you to Jesus. And if you're honest with yourself, you come here and you go, yeah, I, 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 I see all these things happening, but I haven't heard from Jesus yet. And I haven't seen him yet. How do I know that he really is a truth teller? How do I really know that he is the king? And so many of you find yourself in this place with Jesus where, where God has been leading to, you, leading you and you find yourself standing in front of Jesus and you go, I don't quite know what to do yet. And these men, they bow down and they open their treasures and they present these gifts. No one would ever invite these men to a baby shower. They're terrible gift givers. Pacifiers, burp cloths, diapers, that's what you bring to new babies, right? And yet they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what these gifts reveal is what they believed about this newborn king. Gold was the gift of, of royalty. Frankincense was representing Deity is what was brought to the temple to be burned in the temple as an offering that would go up before the Lord. Myrrh is what would be put on people's bodies to prepare them for death. And so I want you to see this. This was not just them giving gifts. This was them declaring not just who Jesus is, but who Jesus is to them. That he is king, that he is God, that he is the one who would pay the price by his death for their lives. And what I realized this week as I was in this text is that the life of the Magi is just this grand invitation to us. That what God wants, that what God wants from us is that we would be people who are open to what God is doing. That we are people that are willing to listen, that we are people who are willing to respond. God is looking for people who want to seek him. God is wanting to bring us to this place where we come to Jesus and we declare that he is our king, that he is our God, that he is the one who died for us. This is what God has wanted all along. This morning I was praying. I felt like the Lord was wanting us to understand the importance of seeking, the necessity of the journey. But he was kind of flipping it on his head. He was wanting me to understand that That is not primarily about us seeking Him and going on this journey. It's about us understanding that He is seeking us and the journey that He has gone on to save us. You see it with the Magi, you see it with Mary, you see it with Joseph, you see it with the shepherds, you see it all throughout this story. Go back and read Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, that all these people most definitely were seeking the Lord, but in every single case, it was apparent that God was also seeking them. Look at Jesus, look at His life. He didn't stay a baby. The story declares that he grows up and he lives and he becomes a strong man and he dies this death. And he rises from the dead 3 days later. Who's ever heard of something like that? What grandparent of yours has ever died and 3 days later rose back from the dead? It's supernatural. It's the work of God. And God's wanting me to understand, he's wanting us to understand that you and I, our lives and our hearts will never be settled until we understand how far God has come seeking us so that we can become worshipers. I was thinking about the the difference and this becomes our motivation. The difference in the type of king that Herod was and the type of king that Jesus is. Herod sacrificed others' lives to secure his own position, to secure his life. And Jesus sacrificed his own life to secure ours, to secure our position in the kingdom. Herod refused to get off the throne to make way for Jesus, and Jesus willingly left heaven's throne to make a way for us. Herod was paranoid. He was marked by lies and ultimately death. Jesus was peaceful and marked by truth and ultimately triumph. And every single person, we have to make the decision who we will live for. What will we worship? Will we like Herod? Will we serve and live for ourselves? Will we be like the the, the teachers of the law who have all the knowledge but have no relationship? Or will we be like the Magi? Our eyes and our lives open to God who go on the journey with God, who acknowledge not just with our mouths, but with our lives that Jesus truly is King, that Jesus is God, that he is the one who saves us. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion. We do this every week where we take a piece of bread and we take a cup of juice, and we do this to remember Christ, that he's come, that he's died for us, that he's done everything that needs to be done in order for us to be forever put in in, in a, in a perfect relationship with God. And I want to give us a couple of questions as we take communion. We, you, you can do this by yourself, but I encourage you. There's something so meaningful about taking communion with the people that you came with, people that, that are around you. And so I want to invite you to answer these questions. The first is, 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 do you see God seeking you? Do you see God seeking you? And for some of you, the answer is going to be Absolutely. And I encourage you to to share those things in communion because so often testimony is what encourages us to keep going, right? And so share those in some of you. The answer to that question is no. I don't see God seeking me. I don't see his hand. I don't see anything in his life. And it's gonna give you a beautiful place to pray together. Do you see God seeking you? The first question is: Are you seeking God? first question is, uh, do you see God seeking you? The second question is, are you seeking God? Like, answer honestly. You're not lying to to anyone as you're taking communion. And this isn't to make you feel guilty, but it's just uh, to to, to evaluate, to give you a place to to start from. And some of you will go, yes, I am seeking God. And I've I've never been more hungry, that there's never been more in-tuneness to the Spirit. There's never been a desire to, to serve and to give and to share my faith. And some of you will go, no, I'm not. It's going to give you a great place to pray. The third question I want you to wrestle with, want us to wrestle with, is is how will you respond? For some of you, today's the day to give your life to Jesus. Today is the day that you've st- even, even standing in front of him and you haven't quite opened up your lives. You haven't quite declared that, 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 that he is your Lord, that he is your Savior, that he is your King, that he has paid the price for your life. And so for some of you, today is the day of salvation. That God will fill you with his spirit, that he will forgive you of all of your sins, that you will find this unbelievable sense of purpose and joy as you give your life to Jesus. And so for some of you, here in just a minute, when we stand and sing, I'm gonna invite you to give your life to Jesus. that he will satisfy you like nothing else in this life can. For some of you, you come here this morning and, and, and the, the thing that you need to, to acknowledge and the place that you need to respond is that you've just been in this stagnant place. You don't need to be saved. You've already been saved, but, but you come here and you go, man, I've just been coasting through this life. And God has been showing himself and he's been seeking, but I've not been doing anything with it, and I haven't been seeking him. And it's not this place for you to, to leave here feeling guilt. It's this place for you to, to, to leave here. And because of his grace, it propels you into the life that God has for you. And others of you, the thing that you need this morning, the place that you need, the way that you'll respond is by asking God for, for more stamina I see this in Mary, I see this in Magi. You know, Mary, think about her journey up into this point and she's holding Jesus and that's not all that God has for her. She's got a 30 years of protecting him and teaching him and making sure that he grows up, right? And the Magi, this isn't the end of the story. It's not like they come encounter Jesus and then go back to life as normal, back where they came from. No, what they need is stamina because what God has begun, they want more of it. And so for some of you, what you need is that in this next season, Is for the stamina to keep going. To not grow content, to not become stale. So I wanna pray for us. When I get done praying, I'm gonna invite us to stand. The band's gonna get back up and lead us in worship. I invite you to take communion. You can spread out all over the room. There'll be some men and women at the back that respond, Banner. If you wanna talk or pray, give your life to Jesus, you can come and we'd love to help. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these men and women these children. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts. And God, that, that all the forces, that the work of the enemy and the work of the kingdom of darkness would just be squelched in this place and that your spirit would fall. Yes, God, that you would have your way, that you would get what you want this morning. And so come in your power, come in your grace, fill us with your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.